We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot returns alongside Tim and Paul to discuss the nil-nil draw at home to Southampton. Hmm. At the end of the match against Liverpool at Anfield, I felt really crushed. But I've got to say, I feel rather deflated after the um, Southampton game. I just feel a bit, a bit resigned. Uh, it's far too early to be feeling this way. But our form at the moment is not good enough to win the league. And we've dropped off from top spot to under Tottenham, which is just the worst. The worst. Five points behind Leicester. And uh, our, our fixture list away from home isn't too kind either. So it's very worrisome. At the time of watching the match, I wasn't too impressed by our performance. Maybe it was nerves or whatever. After watching the game again, we had a lot of chances. And I, I know we missed a lot of chances when we were watching it live, but it just felt like... Watching it again the second time, we had so many good chances to score and bad finishing and excellent goalkeeping from Forster, who's done that a few times against us now, stopped us from getting a very important goal. We haven't scored in three games now and we are behind Leicester, Man City and Tottenham. Goal scored this season, which is a concern because that should be our strength. Uh, so yeah, we're finding the net hard to come by and it's very worrying, I must admit. For us to win the league now, we really have to step up a number of gears and score more goals. Are we going to manage to get those goals? I'm hopeful. Our midfield's a bit of an issue. It's been for a little while now. And I think that is part of the reason why we're not scoring as many goals as we should be. I mean, we created enough chances to score against Southampton, that's for sure. 
But just in recent weeks, I don't think we we are functioning as we should be, or as we can do. And I also think part of the reason why, you know, we're getting players back back to fitness, Alexis is one of them, and um, they're probably not at the levels as they should be just yet. Obviously, Francis Cochrane to come back in, but he's not going to be at the level he was when he he limped off, hobbled off, or whatever. So yeah, we need to get back fast now, and uh, we're going to have to win some big away matches to win the league. As simple as that. Want to win the league? We're going to have to go to like White Hart Lane and Old Trafford and and Etihad and, and win games. Maybe not all of them, but we have to win two of those games at least, and um, make sure we turn around our home form and start scoring some goals again because, you know, you need to score goals to win games, you know. I've thought about this for a long time now. I've been working it out and I've just come to the conclusion that to win matches, you need to score more goals or just goals in general would be good. Ah, so, yeah, I'm a bit flat, deflated and um, a bit concerned. But we do have the players. We do have the players in the squad to um, turn it around. But we just need to get there quicker than we're doing because um, doing it the way we're doing it we're not going to win anything so come on boys you need to improve dramatically keep clean sheets score goals see it's easy so easy just do that and you'll be fine I promise don't do that and we might see more of those um, Southampton Stoke City oh, Chelsea games and with that I'm going to hand you over to Elliot to uh, cheer you all up okay Enjoy the podcast and um, back after the Bournemouth game. A game we have to win. Another must win. This time, let's try and win this one, yeah? You've come here expecting doom, but there'll be none of that today, my friends, because the trophy is still in our grasp. It is still on. We're right where we need to be. That's right. Fourth place trophy back in Arsenal's reach. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. This is the post-Southampton at home, also known as fourth place trophy edition. Um, It's good to be home. That's all I can say. Uh, In a warm, safe place that feels familiar and comfortable. In any event, um, I think it is pretty safe to say I, I, I think we are comfortable in fourth place. So I, I'm not too worried. We, we won't talk too much about the possibility of slipping to fifth, I don't think. But uh, all kidding aside, there's a lot to cover, and we're going to cover it with two gentlemen who will try to up the tone, or maybe not up the tone. Maybe, maybe they have sunk to my depths. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> uh, first is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posin in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Oh, really? <laughs> Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The only the only woo I want to see is that like meme of the angriest cat in the world, whatever the angry cat. Woo. Uh, you're getting the full woohoo. All right. Suck it up. The other guy who's here is uh, Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Also read him on Ars Blog. Uh, he is hopefully not going to woohoo us. Hello, Tim. Uh, hello. Good evening, and hello to to the listeners as well. Oh. Oh yeah. I totally Ooh. forgot Damn about us. them. Damn we forgot, we forgot about him. him. I, I have to level with you. I have nothing but disdain Linus. for them. <laughs> the only people I hate more than the listeners is the team. <laughs> um, all right, let's dive in. Paul, we start got one with of you. Those either, so. No, that's true. Hey, that's my material. Yeah. Stop it now. Uh, uh, Paul, we'll start with you um, only briefly because I don't know if I want to hear your perspective today. <laughs> Some, someone on Twitter suggested that this whole pod should just be me yelling at Paul. Um, Paul, it, it hasn't gone well recently, and and – 
we've been trying to persist with the Flamini Ramsey midfield, and it's a long time coming now that we've seen it really doesn't work very well. And I realize Elneny may not have been available for selection. The manager may not have felt Coughlin was um, was fit enough to to play again after having just played three days earlier. But all other positions on the pitch aside. Was it incumbent on Arson to find some other system solution pairing something in midfield? Or was it was it excessively optimistic to believe we could trot Flamini Ramsey out there again and and expect different results from what we'd seen? Well, so I agree with the your line in terms of the midfield. I think it's one game too many seeing Flamini Ramsey. Uh, I thought Flamini worked his nuts off, you know, did the things he can do well defensively. I thought he was actually poor for him even, passing-wise. I think we were overmanned in midfield, certainly in the first half, by Wanyama and Romeo. Mane dropping in gave us a lot of trouble. They worked really hard in the first half, and I think they pretty much overpowered our midfield. Um, uh, So, yeah, that was one flamini too many for me. Um, <laughs> Coquelin, I mean, didn't he play the f- pretty much the f- the full game? Yeah, he played mo- most of the game uh, last time out. Um, maybe the manager was just holding him back a little bit longer to make sure that he's fully there. That you know the minutes are in the legs or whatever. But I mean, from a if he could have picked Coquelin, he should have. Um, whether it would have materially changed this game, I mean, he, w- he would have been basically a better Flamini today, and I guess we would have, uh, w- or yesterday, I guess we would have hoped that the Ramsey Cockland thing would just generally work better than the Flamini uh, Ramsey, which which probably wouldn't be too hard. Uh, that said, it, uh, it didn't. That was not the reason we didn't win. I, I want to stop you. I'm going to stop you only because we're going to get to that. We're going to get okay. to was this, um, you know, was I'm this fine. just I'll bad stay finishing on the point or keeping? Then. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the reason we weren't better, and it's certainly the reason we weren't better in the first half. And yes. Yes. And and having to do it all in the second half, you know, we'll get to that. I thought the second half was really good, but it took so much energy. By the time it came to the push at the end, we ran out of steam. And that's because we left ourselves so much work to do after the first half. But Southampton are now a very good team again. They're very organized. Uh, they had a big, beefy midfield. So I'm not surprised it was hard work. But we could have, should have done better in that first half. Yeah, and, and, we had, and we had two or three chances we should have put away regardless in the first half. And again, it, it comes back to the point. Everyone's good in the Premier League right now for the most part. There is no easy match. But if you want to be champions, you beat Southampton at home and go and stake your yep. claim and stay at the top of the table, especially coming off two points from nine, now three points from 12. Um, and, and Tim, so that was a point I wanted to get to. I think hashtag narrative is going to be, oh, we just our finishing wasn't what it needed to be, and we created the chances to win, and we had 20-some-odd shots, and XG was 3.6 to 1.2 and all that. But... Really, we really only gave ourselves a half to win the game because, yes, we did have chances in the first half too, but I thought we played poorly in the first half. We had a hard time grabbing the initiative, and that was really when we saw the deficiencies in midfield. So for you, um, were you a little frustrated that we persisted with a, a midfield that has demonstrated over a relatively long stretch of time now that it's not 
going to give us the ability to control a game and and build up through the midfield? Yeah, certainly. I think Paul touched on something there. I think the reason the finishing was so erratic was because we had to work so bloody hard to get the ball into into good positions. And, you know, the finishing was frantic because the game was frantic. We had no control over it. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's why you saw some quite poor finishing. But the midfield for me, um, I mean, before the game, I, you know, my wife always asks me, what do you think the score will be tonight? And, you know, I said, I think we just edge it by, by a goal. When I saw the starting lineup, I, I revised that prediction to a draw um, as soon as I saw that Flamini and Ramsey were playing again. And I think really, I, individually, I can understand each decision, um, especially to not have a passing midfielder when you don't have Mertesacker there either, I thought was asking for trouble. Now, individually, I can see reasons for all of those decisions because Pear, bless him, got you know torn to shreds by Shane Long on Boxing Day and it made sense that Gabriel was more equipped for that challenge. I think we can assume by now that if Arteta is literally not capable of playing a single second of a game like this where we are crying out for a passing midfielder, then he's taking up a squad space that it, you know that is completely useless. Um, I think if we're not able to play him for a single second of a game like this, then basically we're looking at only playing him when everyone else around him is dead and we can't reanimate their corpses. Um, Elneny wasn't even in the squad. Um, and again, I can understand that because we're trying to ease him in and stuff. But that's, that says that really our squad at this moment in time is two players shorter than it even looks on paper because we've got Elneny who apparently isn't capable of playing in this game to the point that he's not even on the bench. We've got Arteta who's apparently not capable of playing a single second of this game when we're crying out for someone of that ilk. So basically at this moment in time, it may change with Elneny, it probably won't with Arteta. We're two players shorter than we thought we were. Um, and for me, I, I would have played Chambers before Flamini um, myself. Yes, again, here, here. I, I know Chambers played against Southampton last year in midfield and, and it didn't really work, but I, I just thought pairing Flamini and Ramsey, it was a conservative choice, which I kind of understand, but it was one we pretty much knew would fail. And if you look um, at the passing combos, I had a little look this afternoon. In Arsenal's top 18 passing combinations, Flamini's name doesn't feature. He's not in one of them. And um, what the passing combos tell you, very, very interesting story and what you probably saw with your eyes. The top passing combo was um, Ozil to Alexis. Second <laughs> was Alexis to Ozil. How crazy is that in a game where you don't score a goal? Amazing. Um, by the way. Third was Bellerin to Gabriel. Fourth was Gabriel to Bellerin. And then fifth, you finally got Ramsey in there because in the second half, he kind of decided to stop trying to be a striker was probably told, look, Flamini can't pass the ball. You've got to go back there. And then sixth is Koscielny to Monreal. And seventh, sorry, seventh is like Koscielny to Monreal. Eighth is Monreal to Koscielny. So what you've got there is you've got two forward players who are just completely bypassing the midfield and playing their own game. And you've got four defenders who keep getting the ball, looking up and seeing nobody ahead of them and just passing it sideways to their, you know, their immediate immediately to their right or left-hand side in defence. So it was it was really disjointed. And um, from where I was as well, you know, I've, I've kind of got the camera position 
from my seat, but from the other side of the stadium. And honestly, the shape was pathetic. It was four defenders, Flamini kind of drifting around, you know, not very effectively. Um, and of course, Flamini's approach is very, um, is one of retreat, really. Whenever teams counter-attack, all he really does is just run backwards towards the centre-halves. Um, he's not really proactive in the way that Coquelin is to come and meet the ball. And then you just had like five guys standing in a line. You had Ramsey playing like as a centre forward, somehow expecting Flamini or Gabriel to find him with some kind of Perlo-style through ball. And then everyone else was just kind of standing in a line. And, you know, the centre circle was just completely unmanned for pretty much the entire, well, certainly the entire first half until... I gather, from what I saw in the second, that Arsene Wenger told Ramsey to get his ass back and kind of help Flamini, but then that doesn't get the best out of Ramsey either. So it was. Um... And, and you saw a bit more in the second half of Alexis, especially early on. Alexis and therefore Ozil, because they tended to show up in the same places, mm. moving a little bit more in midfield to to get the ball back and exactly. get control. And, and once we had control, it's like we held on to it and they dropped off a little bit and then we held that midfield. It, it, the, uh, it's really interesting, your analysis, and it strikes me a bit of, remember the Chelsea game a few years ago at home at the Emirates where they scored the two goals? Uh, you know, there was a, Mata was playing, we had Arteta, and Diaby got injured after like 17 minutes and we brought on Ramsey, and it was Arteta-Ramsey, and they targeted Arteta, so yeah. he had no time on the ball. And we basically lost the midfield, but we stayed in the game and had lots of good attacking opportunities by playing the wings. And this kind of, our first half seemed very much like that. We still stayed in the game. In fact, it may have made us attacking-wise a bit more lethal when we got there. But uh, the passing combinations you talked about, we just, we worked it around the edge. And in the second half, still, you would find... After we won the midfield, um, it seemed like Flamini would get himself into pretty good positions to receive the ball, but by then his teammates had given up on him. He'd done some pretty stupid passes at that stage, and they would root it anywhere but through Flamini. Yeah, I want to talk. And what what's the my, my kind of final sentence on the point is the thing is about all of this is none of it as a surprise. We pretty much knew that it was going to happen like that because that's what's been happening for the last kind of five to six weeks. And it's been a necessity thing, but I don't think it really was this time. And I think really you had to pick one of Elneny, Chambers, Arteta or Pear. Not all of them, not even two of them, because there are good reasons not to, but at least one of those guys had to play. I, I want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, okay, so... I can't, I don't disagree with any of that. And we'll get to the question of why it was a quote-unquote necessity to be playing Ramsey and Flamini together. I think you guys may remember this. The, the, sort of the moment of the match that summarizes to me how we'd been playing w with the Ramsey-Flamini midfield. Do you guys remember when Gabrielle collect, ha had the ball deep and started bringing it forward and kept bringing it forward and there was like no one to give it to. And then he yeah. started getting pressed a little and he had to do like a little, might've been a Cruyff turn either, even or whatever, but he had to do some fancy footwork to beat a man and take it across the midfield stripe. Yeah. yeah. Um, like that, that summed it up for me. He had no one to give it to. And all, all too often we saw 
our center backs spraying passes to the wings because there was no one in the middle of the park available for them to give it to. Um, you talk about passing combos, and Mertesacker to Casorla and Koscielny to Casorla, and even the fullbacks to Casorla are always among our most common passing connections. Uh, and I think we miss Santi Cazorla a hell of a lot is basically what I'm driving at. Yeah. Um, and Jack yeah. was probably our best passer from deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't disagree with that. That um, ball to Sanchez along the, the left incredible. wing in that second half. Whoa. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, the problem is, right, because we had a lot of shots on goal and ultimately did create chances you could win a game with, It'd be very easy to say this actually was a big improvement and was a good performance, but I think it became a better performance um, after we started to make changes in the second half. Um, it became a better performance when Coughlin came in. It became a better performance when Ramsey started to come back to the midfield a little bit. Um, for what it's worth, and I don't know that anyone puts a whole lot of stock in the who scored ratings. They rate players. I usually glance at it just because it's a reference point, certainly not dispositive. But Ramsey received the second lowest grade at 6.6 below only Joel Campbell. Um, just quickly, quickly on Joel Campbell, Paul. I, I don't want to get into discussion sure. about this. But are we maybe seeing now that like we we tried to wish him into the new Cochran, but like this is a player who does have limitations and again, he, no. he just couldn't influence the game enough. No. Okay. No, he's still All a great right, player. Here. So here's my theory. The other thing I would say that changed in the second half, as I mentioned, was Alexis coming in midfield right from the start. It's almost like they said, let's, let's get you guys, Giroud, Alexis. Into, if Ramsey isn't going and, and Flamini can't win the midfield and Ozil tends to exit the midfield from a central position, um, somebody needs to get in there. So you guys keep dipping in and out. So once we had that momentum, I think we had it before the subs came, the sub changes came on. So back to the Joel. Yeah, Campbell. I mean, Cochran didn't come on until the 84th minute. So you, that that is fair. I do think we reshaped yeah. a little bit, and yeah, th- that helped. And Alexis did start to get more central to help add an extra body yeah. in midfield. Here, here's my thought on Campbell. He didn't see a lot of the ball. I don't think that's his fault. When he did, he did. Uh, he did pretty well. But the issue for us was we didn't have the mid midfield, and Ozil went left all day long. When he went out right, it was to get the ball and put in a, a killer cross in from time to time. So when you look at the passing stats, it's all him and Alexis, and they're all basically on the left wing. So you, you substitute Joel Campbell, who in the second half was completely quiet because nobody was on. Remember the old days of the Theo-shaped hole? We used to play up in that corner. This was a game in which we pretty much didn't. Theo comes on. There's a bit of activity in that corner. Uh, he looks he looks half decent for about 10 minutes, and then he disappears. But so does all the activity in that corner for the largest part. Ozil, in large part, is attracted to Alexis, who's on the left wing. And that was where all our strength was. Uh, I think... To some, uh, you know, Theo had a poor game, but to some extent, Campbell and Walcott suffered from the fact that there was no midfield. They need, like, the great chance Theo had on goal is not because we were playing in that half; it was because we were playing in the on the other half of the pitch. There's like four or five Ozil, Alexis, all knocking it around. They lose the ball. Their centre back 
finds Theo because we weren't going to, and he's in open space. But the gap between Theo and the rest of the play, eventually he starts moving into the center of the field. Uh, as uh, I think it goes back to Tim's point. Our shape was horrendous from several standpoints, and I could bet Joel and Theo both went home saying, I got no fucking service. Now, the, Theo in particular might have the least to gripe about because he did have a couple of moments and a couple of opportunities. He was bundled off the ball, uh, you know, some poor passes. I'm not saying he had a good game. I'm saying that our shape was lost because our midfield was lost. We found a way to frigate in the second half, but it was not from having the right shape. It was from quality, clever players playing together, from pressure, from grabbing back the midfield, but never really fixing the problem of the midfield. I mean, I, I thought it was a game, honestly, where Alexis and Ozil played brilliantly and everyone else was fucking horrible. And we have two really great players and they played really well and that wasn't good enough to bail out the other eight players on the pitch who were really mediocre. I um, thought Shiro was good. He said lowing in... Uh, uh, lobbing in a grenade and running for the exits. I thought Giroud was good. I mean, his, i, I got to give it to him. He curled one beautifully with his weaker foot that he was unlucky he, not to score he with. He did a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, look, to me, again, eight very mediocre performances and two sensational players trying to drag everyone across the line. And there's some people that will be saying, well, that's really nice to Ozil, who had chances to win the game for us and didn't. But he also made 10 key passes in the game. Um you know, I, I don't know yeah. what, what you want from a guy who's meant to be a creator. I know he has to score goals, too, but he did create. Ultimately, I, I think this, that, I think that squad was short quality. It was just short of quality. Joel Campbell, Olivier Giroud, Theo Walcott, Matthew Flamini. You know, the, these are players who can be in a squad but cannot be regular, everyday, starting, first-choice-type options in a squad that wants to win the Premier League. That's, that's been my position for a long time. I haven't seen anything to change that. Um, and over the course of the season, I think that's catching up with us. And, Tim, we'll, we'll get to the question of squad construction just in a second because I think it has to be addressed at this point. But, of course, I think that because it's a uh, hashtag agenda. But, like, um, with respect to... The missed chances. I mean, do you think we played well and got unlucky? Do you think that missing chances is and of itself, in and of itself, bad play? How, what's your ultimate takeaway from a game where, admittedly, we could have won it three four nil if we if we had our finishing boots on? I mean, I think I think for a start off, um, our, our finishing was, I'd say, apologetic um, a lot of the time, and, and actually, Ozil was responsible for a lot of that. I think it's because pretty much every chance he had fell to his right foot and he's not capable, um, or at least he doesn't think he's capable of kicking a ball five, six yards with his right foot. Um, and, you know, if you're very one-footed, you can get away with chopping back onto your um, onto your stronger foot, kind of mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40 yards from goal. You can't do it in the penalty area. It has to go first. Time. And uh, every time, there's three or four times he, he wanted Touch to take it on his left, and ultimately, a uh, great player that he is. Uh, and you know, I, I agree with all the caveats you've given him there. Ultimately, his his inability to kick a ball with his right foot cost us some points. Um, and so, in that respect, I think he's a little bit culpable for the result as well. But like you say, he did his main job, which was to kind of create chances. Um, I mean, I think. I think it would be much less frustrating if this result was kind of in isolation. 
um, and perhaps we've won a couple of games before. And then you get a nil-nil against Southampton and you're like, well, we missed some chances and that happens. But mm-hmm. this is why, um, you know, when you're going for the league title, you, you, you attack the league. You, you do what Leicester are doing at the moment and you get every single point you can get your hands on. You don't go, oh, well, nil-nil at Stoke's all right. Well, three all at Anfield's all right. You go and get every single point you can, like Leicester are doing. They're just going into every game saying, no, we're, we're going to take this on and we're going to win it or we're going to try and win it. Because then when the days come along where, you know, it's maybe a bit of an off day, you reduce the impact of that. And so maybe if we don't have a really silly 10 minutes against West Brom and chuck the game away or a really silly 10 minutes against Norwich and chuck that game away, in isolation, this, you know, this you reduce the impact um, of this kind of result. And... You know, the reverse fixture at Southampton that we lost 4-0, that, that honestly, that troubles me very, very little um, because I just think, you know, well, it's one of those days, it was over Christmas, Southampton have kind of got our number a bit, we didn't play well and every single thing went against us as well um, and those two things aren't mutually exclusive, you can be bad and unlucky and, you know, those kind of games are I don't think tell you much about your team and about your title prospects. You just go, right, okay, bad day, put it to the back of our minds. But kind of throwing away silly points is, is basically what I'm saying is it's very difficult, I think, to compartmentalise this um, and consider it in isolation because of what's come before. I, I may feel a little bit differently about it if, it if it had happened you know, in the middle of a fairly good run. And written it off as one of those things so at the moment kind of less than 24 hours after the game i'm still struggling kind of emotionally to separate those things out at the moment i still feel very frustrated because it's three points out of 12 when we probably settled for a draw at stoke and we were a bit timid about drawing at anfield and that kind of stuff frustrates me but i, I at the moment, basically, what I'm saying uh, in answer to your question is that I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of people that do the data and statistics stuff that will tell you a draw is as bad as a loss if you want to yeah. win the Premier League. Um, and I guess the question then is, is Arsene Wenger just inherently too conservative a manager with the way he picks his squads and the way he builds his squads? And is that why we're not you know, regularly competing for titles? I mean, you could argue that at Stoke with five minutes left, throw on another forward or throw on another, you know, pack the midfield, get control and go for a win. Or, you know, at Anfield, you know, don't don't take off an attacker and continue to keep pressure on them. Um, you know, yesterday, maybe you take off a central defender and throw on Oxley chamberlain and say, I'd rather lose it 1-0 than draw it 0-0. Um, I, I just think these, these draws are as damaging as losses. And it's the same argument. You say, well, he could have gone with Chambers and Ramsey in midfield. And you say, well, that, that could have backfired spectacularly. We could have lost. Mm-hmm. Is that any more damaging than what did happen? Um, is there a time when, you know, you have to be willing to just roll the dice and hope to see something different from your team? Paul, I mean, I look at it this way, right? Like yesterday to me encapsulated everything that, that frustrated me from the summer, which is that I felt we were short a central midfielder and we were short one more really – game-changing talent up front. And you look at City yesterday, for example, by all accounts, they didn't really have a great game, but Aguero did what Aguero does. He popped up in the box with one chance and finished it, and they win the game. Um, Jamie Vardy. I mean, 
there's a guy who just scores goals regularly and wins games for Leicester and did again at Anfield. Meanwhile, we didn't get that from our, our forward line, and we struggled to put our foot on, on the game early because we couldn't control midfield. I mean, is that really where we are right now? We're a midfielder and a forward short of having a title team? Uh, well, I think we're a midfield short. I don't know if we're a midfielder. <laughs> we're a well, midfield well, I mean, short of winning If the we title. hadn't had to play Matthew Flamini for six weeks or whatever it was alongside Aaron Ramsey, you know, surely some of these points could have been converted into three points. And then, you know, yesterday is an example of, you know, when you look at these lineups, who do you say that guy is just going to get you goals? I trust him to get you goals. I mean, Olivier Giroud does it in streaky form, but he also has his streaks where he can't score to save his life. Um, yeah, nah. Okay, so he, there's he some does. truth in that. I mean, that's not well, debatable. Ha- it's a yeah, fact. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> but he's not in that streak right now. Right now, he's well capable of scoring a goal. That wasn't that's fair. a problem yep. yesterday. Okay, that's fair. Well, he hasn't but I mean, four games? Uh, sure. But when you look at body language, those kind of, you know, we've seen down Olivier. This isn't down right. Olivier. May not have yeah, scored. Okay. But well, well capable of it. And he had a nice mm-hmm. right foot curler that he thought was in, I thought was in. Pretty much most people thought it was in that Forster got to blah, blah, blah. My point is, we could have, should uh, uh, If you can get an Aguero, you get an Aguero. We've had that discussion before. Uh, what's new here? We should have got a goal yesterday. We didn't. The real, my real worry about yesterday is, I don't think we're a player short in midfield. I think we're a midfield short in midfield. Uh, because it's not one player. We still have not, now that Cazorla, Coquelin, is not a thing. What is a thing? We're we're still at the experimental stage, mm-hmm. right? Right. You, you don't putting in Coquelin does not. We will not be shocked if we're talking in two or three games about how Coquelin and Flamini is only somewhat better than R- Flamini. And R- R- right, but the, sorry, the point is Flamini you, and Ramsey. Right, Coquelin. But but the point is, you have to change something. You have to be able to see the rot in a title challenge and say. If I don't make a stand soon, yeah, yeah. this is going to get away from me. And yeah, no, I'm not. This manager with that. likes to let you know. To his credit, the reason I think there's consistency, why we consistently do finish in the top four and do get out of our Champions League group, this manager likes to let his players solve the problem. He likes to keep giving them chances till they figure it out, till they solve the problem. But in a title race where you can't yeah. afford to drop too many points. You know, to stay in the top four, you can drop some points, figure it out, solve the problem, go on a run. You can't do that to win the title. Is he is he so too I, reluctant yeah. to solve so the problem for them? So I want to get to them. your second half of the question, which was the risk-taking. I understand why he would have gotten to this point in the season, being cautious, cohesion, evolving it. But to me, yesterday was the game that either before it preferably or after it, I think the gloves uh-huh. must be off. Uh, you know, being respectful of the evolution and the... Uh, I would imagine that the when they got the team together after the game today, uh, yeah. sparks were flying and that it won't just be the manager who's ready to take risks. I bet they were tearing strips off each other because that was a big fucking day for the club and for our title challenge. That was the day we went from... If, if we're a championship-winning team... Yesterday will be the day that this squad gave themselves the kick up the arse they need to say, all right, now I'm calling you all out. Here's our problem. Our problem's the fucking midfield. I'm not getting the service. I don't want to see Ramsey, Coquelin, whatever it is. 
whatever their feeling is, it's going to come out today. I think it's all get going to get really real. So I think between Arson and this squad, if they have the right stuff, they're going to come. There are enough good players. I don't know how they fix the midfield. I don't think I I don't think anybody's quite worked that out within the squad. Obviously, the manager hasn't. That'll be the big issue. There was enough good shit going on yesterday that you could take that and turn it some turn it into something if they address the midfield, if they make the tough choices, and if there's a good midfield to be had out of this selection of players. I'm gonna th- gonna throw some 2016 stats at you here real quick. Only Norwich, 29, have allowed more shots on target against them than Arsenal, 27, in 2016. Only Crystal Palace, 5%, have converted a lower percentage of their shots into goals in Arsenal in 2016, 8%. Those are both via Orbino on Twitter, Optistats there. Tim, uh, after the summer, you wrote an article, I believe, I certainly know you discussed, that the manager opted for cohesion as his edge. He went and got check and felt that he had the outfield players, that cohesion would be the difference that we had been on a run for the last four or five months of the last season that we could carry that into this season and it'd be enough to lift us to a title. This title is going to be won by a very mediocre team, whoever it is. Certainly, if not mediocre in quality, certainly in point accumulation. Do you have any revision now with the benefit of hindsight and with our title challenge faltering on whether failing to add to the squad in some capacity over the summer made this a bri- or may have made this a bridge too far for us? Um, I mean, first of all, I'd slightly alter the kind of tailor the point and say I, I don't think Wenger necessarily chose cohesion. I think he settled on it. He, okay, that, that's, no, that, that's a very, very can, important and fair yeah. point. I mean, he always makes the point, show me a world-class player that improves my squad and I'll be happy to get him. But yeah. I think we acknowledge if buying El Elneny for £5 million improves his squad, there were, there were certainly things he could have done. Yeah, yeah. I think, basically, I think on the cohesion point, um, and to continue a theme of this podcast, I've written about this for tomorrow, so it's all fresh in my mind. Um, the, the kind of the chemistry of this squad is very, very delicate in that I think it's pretty obvious what Arsenal's best 11 is. It's the one we saw in about September, October. So that's Coquelin and Cazorla at the base, Ozil ahead of them, Ramsey on the right, Alexis on the left, Theo up front. Problem is, you take any one of those links out of the chain and it completely collapses. Um, and, and that's still not a perfect front six, but I think it's the best we've got. But any one of those players comes out, none of it works, basically, um, with the exception of Ozil and Alexis, because they're just so good. Everything else is interdependent on one another. And that's the, that's the quite interesting and quite frustrating thing about our squad. And uh, I think this is the point, you know, Paul was making, like how, and this is exactly what I've written about, how on earth do we, you know, because we know we haven't got Kazorla for at least another month, ditto Wilshire, um, ditto Rosicki, all of whom I think would, you'd be able to drop in somewhere in that front six if a player's missing. Like, I think mm-hmm. if Rams is injured, you can play Rosicki on the right because he's got the energy to do that you know, being a support striker and a third central midfielder all at the same time. Um, and, you know, Wilshire can play on, on the right or in the centre um, in that kind of front six. But with our existing options, what the hell do we do? Um, and, you know, on the last podcast, we had we had a question which perhaps we didn't quite do justice, which was, um, 
you know, could we partner Coquelin and El Nenny and put Ramsey on the right, uh, which is yeah. kind of the best working imitation of what was working. And that I, was my point. <laughs> I was, well, I, I thought it was a question that came in, but yeah. No, I was just making the point. If you have that front six that was super effective, and you could only, you know, you reproduce it with only one change, which would be El Nenny instead of Cazorla, do you do it? Yeah, but I, but then I think there's the argument that lacks uh, creativity and it puts a big burden on Ozil to you know feed the strikers because um, El Nenny you know looks like from what little we've seen of him like a, a decent box-to-box player that likes a shot but he looks more in the Ramsey mold than the Cazorla mold and mm-hmm. therefore you probably he's a, you know he's a good safe passer by the looks of it um, but then you don't quite have the creativity that Cazorla brings and therefore it's it's quite a functional front six then it loses a little bit of spark um, and then of course Coughlin and Ramsey uh, that's that's got a bit of trouble but Coquelin's a bit more proactive and basically a he's more likely to win the ball back than Flamini is um, you can see that with your eyes and all the stats say it. he wins more tackles he makes more blocks he makes more interceptions he's just much more likely to come away with the ball. So even if Ramsey is in one of his kind of, I'm just going to stand next to the centre forward moves, it, it's not quite as bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the, the cohesion point is a very interesting one because with a couple of injuries, we've just like completely lost cohesion. Um, and I think Arsene will have a very, very good working idea already of what he wants to do in the summer. Um which I think he'll want to buy a controlling central midfield, a kind of defensive central midfielder. Um, and I think he has wanted for quite a while a kind of wide playmaker in that front three to make that front three work um, a little bit better, uh, which is why he's picking Joel Campbell at the moment, who is a kind of fair 7 out of 10 creative presence on, on the right-hand side. So... I mean, it, it has got a couple of holes in it, yes. Um, whether they're easy to fill or readily available to fill, I don't know. Because I think he's been looking for those two players for a couple of years. Um, probably since Nasri went, we haven't had that wide playmaker and I don't think he's ever found one. Um, either that he can get or that he likes enough. And I think he's been looking for that deep midfielder for a few years. I mean, he, he did for... Lars Bender in what 2013 mm-hmm. uh, so he's been looking in that position for a long time but obviously just not found anything and I think Andrew made uh, a really good point on Arsenal last week that El Nenny is the first midfield player that um, Bengal has paid money for in four and a half years I think it was um, first specialist midfielder right like, yeah first yeah, yeah. specialist since Arteta right um, because because yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, because Cazorla was bought, but but I guess he was bought to be more of a wide forward at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, like proper central midfield player, and and even even if you know, even if you count Cazorla, which you probably should, that's still three and a half years since he paid money for a midfielder, and I don't believe he's not wanted one in all that time. Um, so, I mean, I think I like like I said at the beginning, I don't think he opted for cohesion. I think he settled on it and you know if he settled on it reluctantly then you know if he can't find the players then that problem exists 
no matter how much he wants those players, if that if that kind of makes sense. So, um, yeah. And, and, and given my point about Arteta and El Nenny earlier, um, who aren't capable of playing at the moment for what for different reasons, then um, yeah, then yeah, we're 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 short there. Uh, we're too short. We're fucked. Not to mention Wilshire, Rosicki. You know, I mean, players that get rattled off at the beginning of the season as our strength and depth, where it really is the height of optimism to presume that they will contribute during the course of the season. Absolutely. Um, Rosicki got in for his few minutes. He's had a setback. Wilshire, his season may be done without ever kicking a football. Um, And no matter how much we may love Jack Wilshire, he's the type of guy that you have to go into a season thinking if he plays, it's a bonus. I mean, he's in Diaby land now, you know? The one um, curveball I would have liked to have seen yesterday, just a short point, but it kind of touches on a few things there in terms of creativity and so you know somebody who can maybe not play make from the right. But I would have loved to have seen, in hindsight, the Iwobi that played in the FA Cup come on for the last 15, 20 minutes there, uh, given that we had more space, to kind of connect things through the middle. Um because we didn't have any of that. Uh, I mean, why not? Why not play him next to a Flamini and put Ramsey back up on the right and drop Joel Campbell? You know, try to get back to some semblance of what was working. Again, I don't think you can take a bad risk with the lineup right now because the one we've been using isn't working. And maybe the manager I do think just there's felt a lot the of return. mileage in your Kakala El Nenny thought to push Ramsey right. I think it will be strong. Uh, well, will it be creative look, enough? I don't know, but it will be strong. Where uh, We'll have a presence in midfield. We'll battle them for the midfield. There's going to be people listening to this podcast who are going to say that I picked an odd time to pick on how we performed because we created tons and tons of chances and should have won by several goals. But I think that it is still fair to point out that for about half of the game, we struggled to get to grips with it. And that a lot of the chances we, we did create came from sort of scrambled and frantic play that we, we never really... the problem. Yeah, we, we did. Around. I mean, our, our superior quality. And a lot of it, like I said earlier, was Alexis and Ozil just being better than everybody else on the pitch. Yeah, um, the midfield should have been the engine for that. Like th- There was no engine uh, room. A, there was no yeah, engine like, room yesterday. Like on a good day with Coquelin, Cazorla, whatever you say, like in the... The uh, the United game uh, with Cazorla coming through. You know, one of the things I missed for p- my old mate Theo on the right was had you had Cazorla uh, kind of slightly right in midfield, he would have been spraying a few passes to get Theo in behind. If Ozil doesn't do it, nobody does it is the problem at the moment. Now, yeah. that's a bit harsh on Ramsey because he can play make, but... You know, yesterday was not his great performance, and he's not Ozil, and he's not Cazorla from a playmaking standpoint. We are in fourth place currently uh, on goal difference from Spurs. We are five back of Leicester and two back of City. Uh, It is a pretty stunning turnaround from our position not so long ago. Um, With players coming back, the opportunity to go on a run is still there, but it's probably going to mean needing to get three points at least in a few of the tough away games at Spurs, at United, at City, at West Ham, at Everton. These are not easy places to go and win. And we're going to have to win at more than a few of them. Uh, we have Leicester in two weeks' time. The The chance for us to be in the title race may be happening next weekend when we 
play Bournemouth and Leicester and City play each other because we will gain ground on one or both of them with a win. Um, Tim, let me come back to you just really quickly. At this point, given what's happened in recent seasons, given what the squad looks like, considering our history of, quote, challenging for the title over the last decade, how dented is your confidence that we will stay claw, claw our way in and stay in the title race? Um, very. Um, I think uh, the next fortnight will really decide that, to be honest. And actually, the fixture list could be viewed as being kind to us in that, <coughs> excuse me, I think Manchester City play Spurs very soon. Um, we play Leicester. Leicester and City play each other. We have to, we really have to, you know, change our position much for the better um, over those fixtures. It is a chance to catch up. It's a big chance. Um, look at how much, you know, the, the table's changed in the last month, as you said. Um, that is very worrying, of course, but it also demonstrates how quickly things can change. Whether we actually will, I don't know. And the reason my confidence is dented is I feel like, and I think you alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, that maybe we've spent so long chasing four where you can kind of go, oh, well, if we drop a couple of points here, it doesn't matter. Like, we'll just go and we'll just go there and win. And, you know, when you're, you can do that when you're chasing four. When you're chasing down Martin O'Neill's Aston Villa with their 13-man squad, you can probably do that. When you're chasing down Harry Redknapp's Tottenham, you can probably do that. Um, but I feel like there's too much projection here, you know? It's too much like, oh, you know, we lost two points here, but, you know, we've got lots of home games left. And, you know, when you keep parking the problem into the future, um, you know, and, and I was tweeting about this this morning, and, and, you know, you look at the way Leicester are approaching it, who are under a completely different pressure now. They're, they're contenders. They're not plucky underdogs on a good run. They're contenders. And look at them. They're just attacking it. They don't care. They're not They're not doing all this. Or if we get um, 81 points, which means we can afford to lose three games, like, no, they're just going in and just attacking the league. And, I, you know, Arsenal, to me, look like they're trying to apologise their way to the league. They're just, oh, if, if we take a point here, then... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just take three points out of one of those tough away games. And, you know, I, I worry that we've been doing good enough for so long that we're not quite in the mindset of doing good. And, um, you know, I was really hoping there would be a change, and there still could be. You know, you compare the way we won the FA Cup in 2014, we stumbled to that. It opened up for us, and we still only just hung in and did it. But then you look at 2015, we owned that competition. We went to United, we beat them, we thrashed Villa in the final, and it really looked like that kind of barrier had been overcome where we could take the ball by the horns. But it just doesn't really look like that at the moment. But what you can say is if you're going to completely lose your shit, lose it, lose it in January and not April or May, um, although we could still do that, of course, um, you know, basically, we've very, very quickly got to find some kind of cohesion from somewhere. And last season, we kind of rescued things a bit because we fell upon something that worked. And that's going to have to happen again pretty soon, I think. 
Um, but nevertheless, in the next fortnight, things could really, really turn around. Um, but of course, if you're Leicester at the moment, it's it's kind of all very well saying that. But if you're Leicester City at the moment, I'd be saying to Ranieri, if I were Ranieri, I'd be saying to my players, look, you play these guys, you can put them out. Like, you could put Arsenal out of the title race if you go and beat them. And that must be a huge incentive to a team who are already playing with great confidence, with great momentum, who don't seem troubled by the pressure at all. You know, if things go really badly, Leicester could, and this is doomsday stuff, obviously, but Leicester could open up a lead of about 11 points over Arsenal if, you know, we lose to Bournemouth and they beat City and they beat us. And if I were, if I were Ranieri, I'd be saying that um, and telling them to just go for it and attack it because um, they've really got nothing to lose. So I, I think this really has dented my confidence, yes, because I just... I don't know if Arsenal have got that completely intangible, nebulous ingredient, that 1% or 2% that just drags you through. Um, I'm not sure they've got it, and they're going to have to prove it in the next two weeks because they put themselves under big pressure to get big results now. Yeah, I, I, I think a few seasons back, and we, we touched on this a while back, uh, Arsenal led the league for the first half of the season. We led the league for more days than anyone else. We wound up falling badly away and and really had to rely on a, a late run to salvage fourth. And there was a game where we were beating Everton. Granted, I think it was in December, um, maybe even late November. And we could have opened up an eight-point lead uh, at the top of the table. But uh, they got a late equalizer. And we never really recovered from it. We kind of limped our way through the next four weeks or so and, and wound up falling away. And that, that was the year where we took the heavy losses to, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, City, uh, Everton. But uh, the Liverpool away fixture feels similar to me right now. I think that knocked the stuffing out of us when they, when they scored the equalizer late. And I don't think we've really recovered yet. I, I don't think we were playing particularly well up to that point, but we were getting it done. And, you know, I'd feel a lot better getting Alexis back and Coughlin back and, putting the band back together, so to speak, and getting Elneny integrated if we were still defending a lead at the top of the table going into this run-in. But it's a very different psychological thing now to have to chase it back down after having done the work early in the season. You know, you look at it, we got two points in November and three points in January. I I know you can drop points and win a title, but do title teams go that cold for that long? Um, You know, and, and, and without being too doomy, like... It is just as possible that we could lose at West Ham and lose at City and lose at United and uh, lose at Everton or draw at Everton. They, they have been fantastic, so maybe not. And and really be in a tough spot. Um, we are, I think, level on points with our results last season so far this season. So, you know, it is what it is. But, Paul, um, I mean, beat Bournemouth and gain ground on one or the other. I actually think City is not very good either, and, and they get it done on the strength of Aguero. Do we have do we have the characters in the team to drag us over the line, which we clearly haven't had in, in seasons past? Who, me? Yeah, do, I mean, do we, do, we have, yeah. do we have an Aguero? Do we have someone who no. you say, if we keep that guy fit, we're going to win a title? Uh, do we have that guy? I guess that's Alexis. Alexis it's going to have with, to be, right? <laughs> yeah, Lennon and McCartney is a, is Alexis and Ozil. Um, I think we have the people. Those Do are the guys that wrote the Ca- Communist Manifesto, right? 
Yeah, that's them. Okay. No, that that was Lenin. Yeah, anyway. Mm. So I think we have the players that can still win this particular Premier League. Maybe not some others. Um, do we have the midfield? If we can get that sorted, if the team responds, if they have a come-to-Jesus meeting, uh, specifically after this game, I think Tim's right, this next two weeks is clearly make or break. We've got to come out of the... If we look back in the summer, this will be the game where we came out of this and said, fucking hell. There's enough in there for them not to be down on themselves, but down on the things that aren't working. Because a lot worked yesterday, albeit fri- finding a way to frig around the problem in the, in the center of the pitch. Um, they got to address that immediately. They got to come out fighting. They got to respond. I don't know what comes out of their, the team getting together, but if they come out of this game today, yesterday, uh, and get their shit together, yes, this team can win it. And Alexis with Ozil behind them will believe we can win it if they see a functioning midfield. Yeah, I, I mean the reality is we're right in it. Like, I mean, City still have to go back in the Champions League as well. Leicester, Leicester could be the bigger of the two problems. I don't think City are that great. They haven't played very well at all. They still have the FA Cup to deal with, and, and they have a tough FA Cup fixture. If I remember correctly, they drew Chelsea, right? Yep. And, I mean, Chelsea look like they're getting back to being halfway decent, um, which a win over Arsenal will always help with. Um, uh, you know, they still have the Champions League, and they may be going farther in that than we are. So I, I think... You know, I, I I can actually see City dropping a hell of a lot more points as the season goes on, and Leicester may just be in a situation where no FA Cup, no Capital One Cup, no Euro, uh, Europa or Champions League. They just have to win one game a week, you know, and, and just do that more than Arsenal or City and, and maybe Spurs. And it's scary to say it, but the way Pochettino has that team playing, if they kind of fuck off the Europa League, you can't write them off. I mean, I know history tells us you can, but, you know, I don't think you necessarily can. And so... I'll leave it on this, and, and let's wrap it up because, I mean, ultimately there's there's not a lot of good sentiment going on in the club right now. But, Tim, for you, um, you know, are you confident that the players coming back is enough for us to get back to the way we were playing, or is there something else wrong here that goes beyond just the personnel? I think a little bit of both, to be honest. I, I, I do think the players coming back will help. Like I said earlier, I still don't think with, with you know, with Cazorla and Wilshire out, I think that's a big missing link in the team. But what it should be is it should be better. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's still in our hands um, in terms of the teams we play. There hasn't been a point, there hasn't been a point this season where we've gone on a good run and say with you and uh, let me leave you with this thought um, on the 2nd of February 2002 Arsenal drew 1-1 at home to Southampton at Highbury um, and were booed off the pitch and they won their next 10 games and won the league that that would be uh, more of that would be just fine with me um, yeah that's a great place to leave it because I, I that gives me some straw to grasp I think for me personally I looked at this squad going into the season and thought we probably need another goal scorer and we probably need another central midfielder. And 
as we sit here today, it's hard for me not to feel that that is still the case um, with all the best will in the world to El Nenny, but we've made the point, you know, he's not in the squad yet, so can't really count him. I think Bournemouth is, you know, every game we've been calling a must-win, and in a title race, every game is a must-win, but because Leicester plays City, and it's a chance to gain ground on one or both of them before then playing Leicester, I think the dream scenario actually is that Leicester beats City, that we beat Bournemouth, and then we beat Leicester, um, because I think that would position us as well as we could hope for. Um, But it may be a case that this is their year. And I I think the thing that makes it harder is Spurs playing well and Leicester being top of the table arguably puts more pressure on Arsene Wenger to some extent because if it was Chelsea running away with the league or City running away with the league, the same old narratives, or even United, the same old narratives about money and resources would be trotted out. But that is clearly not the case this season. Um, And it's winnable. And I think with Guardiola coming next season and Chelsea probably getting a, a legit manager back and United getting a legitimate manager, you could very easily see that Premier League returning to a league where we are sort of the plucky underdogs from a resources standpoint. So this is a this is a big season. Um, the good news is Barcelona can do us a favor and, and get rid of the Champions League for us. Anyway, um, Paul, as always, thank you for giving us some light at the end of the tunnel. Woohoo! Yeah, uh, Paul can be found on Twitter at Posing in My Pants for more fine, insightful commentary like that. And in uh, the lunacy asylum. Yeah, yeah, you're going to want to tune in to uh, Ars Blog or click into Ars Blog later this week for Tim's column. It comes out on Thursdays, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tim. Yeah, that's right, out Thursday. And um, I'm on the Ars Cast on Friday as well. Oh, great. Well, uh, so you will be getting your earballs filled with Tim. You'll be full of Tim uh, later. And then uh, you can find Tim on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You should have blocked me on Twitter by now, uh, but if you haven't, please do. Leave us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes and then write nasty stuff in the comments. We appreciate you doing it. Uh, We will look forward to talking to you after a triumphant win over Bournemouth where we hit all the heights and drag ourselves right back into being title favorites. Until then, cheers. Goodbye. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.